wisdom raises her voice to all mankind. Listen, for she has trustworthy things to say. Choose her instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. She has insight. She has power. She loves those who love her, and those who seek her find her. She was formed long ages ago. The Lord brought her forth at the very beginning, when the world came to be. She was there when He set the heavens in place, and when He marked out the foundations of the earth. So listen to her instruction and be wise. For those who find wisdom find life. Woo! Proverbs for life. What? <laughs> what? What a fantastic time to be in church. Middle of summer. You could be at the beach, but you're here in the house of God. Congratulations, great city, City Gate Church, King's Gate Pastor Myth. Uh, just trying to get it right. There's something up here. King's Gate, I'm proud of you. You're amazing. Here we are on Sunday morning in church, worshiping Jesus, listening to an Australian, for goodness sake. Thanks for having us back from the colonies. It's always good to visit the mother country and uh, find that we're being accepted once again. Amen. Used to ship us off there, and, uh, but now we've come back with a vengeance in Jesus' name. We even have churches over here now sending missionaries to the motherland. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God is good, and it is a wonderful pleasure and privilege, joy, honor to be here in this mighty church known all around the world, and especially uh, a great stake in the ground in the United Kingdom that uh, Dave and Karen Smith have led you in obviously a brilliant manner. This building is uh, a visible sign of the excellence and the bigness of their own spirit and of this great congregation. So congratulations and thanks for having me here. And uh, yes, God bless you. Wonderful to be in the house. And uh, like Elizabeth Taylor said to her seventh husband, don't worry, I won't keep you long. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> All is good. Amen. Well, we have at the top of our criteria, I, I release culture videos for our movement every now and then just to make sure they're all on the same page. And at the top of our culture, one of the words we have is fun. The church should be enjoyable, not endurable. And uh, we're here to enjoy God, and that's man's chief end. And God certainly has a sense of humor. You should be standing where I am looking from, amen, and you'd understand that he certainly uh, has a bright side to him. Listen, I come from Sydney, a church called C3 that we started, as your pastor told you, in 1980, and uh, I'd, like you to I'd like to take you to our church just so that you get a little feel of my background, what we're doing. This is a, a conference where we gather together uh, our churches uh, and in the city of Sydney, and a lot of our pastors from around the world come to this. So if we could spin that, thank you very much. Take me back where the water flows from 
So we'd love you to come down to Presence Conference next year in April, and uh, you could uh, escape your chilly winter and, uh, and uh, warm the cockles of your heart in Sydney town in a beautiful conference center, and it's just, we, we need so much help down there. We need a great, lively church like this to come and to show us how to really do church and uh, help us out. That'd be awesome. Well, also today, I have about uh, my daughter who manages all my books, uh, uh, sent a whole pile of books, but about this tall. So I just thought I won't spend all the time talking about them, but they're out there for you to purchase. That's why we bring them. Uh, and uh, yeah, I used to be embarrassed about selling books. I go, oh, I got some books. Yeah, let's get on with the message. But the Lord rebuked me. He said, what are you doing? That's your ministry. And uh, you got 30 minutes with these people, but they need to have what I am bringing into other people's lives and ministries. We have a Bible college where we've trained over 10,000 ministers. And so a lot of this material is there. And a lot of those people are now running churches all around the world. And so uh, I'd urge you to get a hold of some of these. But uh, um, one of these books is for leaders. Well, it's not really for leaders. I mean, if you have trouble leading a dog across a road, this will help you. Because uh, it's basically Leadership 101. It is like... Uh, ancient Chinese proverbs, all kinds of things in there that'll help you. The ancient Chinese proverb is, man without smiling face should not open shop. And uh, <laughs> so that, that's a good message for pastors. And uh, <laughs> I think we'd have revival if we just got some pastors smiling. And I'm not talking about anybody here, it's those other ones. Yeah. And, you know, it's... Uh, uh, this this uh, is on hope. I wrote this. This is my about third to last book I wrote, uh, which is good because finally you can buy hope. And uh, to, 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 we live in a despairing generation, a generation that is feeling pretty depressed. We've never had so many people taking antidepressants and thinking that a pill is going to fix something that's a spiritual condition. And, uh, and, and often this... Uh, is what we need to get a hold of in our heart and mind for mental health and emotional health. And the Bible promises that. It is uh, a real uh, burden of mine to bring mental and emotional health to this generation. And I believe we can do it with Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep in God and keep in good health your heart and mind. 
through Christ Jesus. And so that's important. And I have, I have discovered the power of that simply by speaking that scripture. It takes a little longer than a pill. Maybe it takes a day or a couple of days of just speaking that scripture. Be anxious for nothing but everything. But and you find that that becomes the gospel, which uh, actually is good therapy. And it will change your mind, strengthen you, and feed your spirit as well. So that was, uh, I'm not even preaching on that, but it's a really good message. And uh, you should buy that message. If not for you, for someone else. Be an unselfish Christian. Buy one for somebody else. And this book on faith, I preached on this last time I was here. And uh, some of you were here. Uh, how many were not here last time? Uh, come on, go buy this. And uh, you need this. I know, I feel it. And uh, so if you can pick that up as you go out, it will, it will help you. Uh, I'm not arrogant. I just have a lot of faith. Amen. It's the best there is. All right. Oh, just thought I'd give the sound man a heart attack. Some of you are, oh, you're golly. Oh, what's he doing? Next, I'll jump on that pulpit. I have done that before, but I'm not sure about that one. I want to say thank you to all the people, all the volunteers who help, like your pastor said, 13,000 hours. That is astonishing. So thank you, and thank you to the sound man for doing such a good job with the noise and the sound, and the worship band for doing such a good job with their noise and sound. Amen. It was brilliant. Give them all a big hand, would you? Thank you. Well, <clears throat> this message is uh, one of my favorites uh, because I love talking about team, and mostly I would talk about team in a team meeting, but I consider in our church the entire congregation a team. It's a family. We talk about ourselves as a family, a tribe, a congregation. But I often will say, okay, now we're doing some team training here today. And I, in that genre, I would be bringing this message to us here today so that we think like, because a lot of people go like, how can I discover my destiny? How can I discover what I'm meant to be here for? Well, this is part of that process. It doesn't come in a letter in the envelope uh, in, in the letterbox to your house. It, it doesn't, it, it, sometimes it may be hinted at through a prophecy over your life. Uh, it, it could come in some counseling session with the pastor or, but mostly it will be discovered when you start doing something. And when you start doing something, not just on your own, but together as a team. Here's the thing. God has arranged destiny to be in a team in such a way that it is impossible for any of us to discover what we're meant to be doing and why we're here on this earth without being in a team. Absolutely impossible. Here's the thing. I would say 10% of my destiny, of why I am here, the meaning of my life, 10% of it is inside me. 90% of it is inside other people. They have got my destiny inside them. So every now and then I find myself in a divine connection with other people. You recognize it when you, when you see it. You get this vibe, you're on the same page. I feel something of a divine connection with your pastor. Dave Smith, every time we sit down, we're talking about the Word of God, about great heroes of faith. We're, we're, not, we're not awkward in the conversation. It's, it's, it's easy flow. It's like a 
yeah, let's recognize this. And that's why I would say when I'm here, Pastor, I'm, I'm in town. If you're, you know, uh, I'll be in London for a couple of days if you want me to come by. I don't, I don't do that with anybody else around England uh, other than my own churches who don't want me anyway. So I just say, Dave, would you like me? And uh, yeah, I don't care if they don't want me. I say, I'm coming. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so uh, to, to have destiny thinking that I, I'm going to hear it all from God on my own is, is, is never going to happen. I've I got to get a piece of my jigsaw puzzle it, in a relationship, and, and it's discovered as I start walking with this person. And, and when I started our church, we ended up with four main people who God gave us and divine connection, and together they are what C3 is today. It isn't just me. Uh, I might have had the initiative and the visionary thing, but I could never have done it on my own. And today I would be seriously deluded if I thought that I could do what we're doing on, on our own. I don't know half of the pastors in our movement now. I don't know their names. I don't know their wives' names. I, I've got other people, but I do know uh, about 12 guys around me who I am connected with, and then they know those guys, and they know those guys, etc. And so for enlargement and destiny and whatever to take place, we have got to be in relationship, and that relationship is not about just sitting down talking to one another. It's looking in the same direction. And that is the secret to a great marriage. There is no doubt about it. Not just staring across coffee at each other and trying to talk, although not many people do that these days. They just look at their devices. And, and, uh, but looking in the same direction together is what we are called to do. So I want to start with this passage out of Proverbs in, in line with your theme over this series about wisdom for life out of the book of Proverbs, which is a brilliant book. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Proverbs 14 verse 4 <coughs> says, Where no <coughs> oxen are, the stable or the crib is clean. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. If you've got strong ministries in the church, you've got a strong volunteer-based, strong life groups, you've got strong growth in your church. Because increase, and not just ordinary increase, but much increase, comes by the strength of the ox. In the New Testament, Paul calls me and you oxen. He says, we are people who carry the load. We tread out the corn. We pull the cart. We uh, plow the field. They, and that's generally because they are yoked together. We are able to pull these off. They're also good for meat and leather, although their useful life is generally expired by the time we've got that from them. And so you have this uh, this. Uh, contribution of the oxen to the growth of the farm, to the growth and increase of the church. But however, when you've got a lot of oxen, you've got to also clean up after them because they all come in the stall and they leave reminders that they've been there. And they're, they're stinking reminders. They're like this high. And my dad had cows when we were kids on a mini farm and I had to clean the stall and it's a big high pressure hose if you don't hold it right it'll take off on you so uh, and that was to clean all all the dung out of the stable so I'm going like this and uh, I'd get the stable clean but when I came out I was covered in manure and uh, they're lucky they could recognize me didn't plant me in the ground for fertilizer but I was I found that you, you had to clean up after these animals. As, there was good training as a pastor. 
because uh, uh, I have to clean up a lot after a lot of the animals in our church. And uh, <laughs> it's like ark cleaning. Uh, Noah would have had shifts on ark cleaning for his sons, I'm sure. And, and so here, here <clears throat> I, how many pastors have I had to ring up and say, sorry, my youth leader didn't really mean it when he told your youth leader that their youth group is just useless. And, and so... Uh, I mean, you've got to learn to say sorry for everybody else's sin if you're ever going to be a pastor because that's just part of the deal. You've got to clean up after, and then you've got to confront. You've got to have those awkward, difficult, confrontational communications with people, which are always emotionally draining and straining for any, any leader. But all of us need to have those capacities to actually be strong enough to carry the load that God has got for us in this, in this life. And the fact is, oxen work better when they're yoked together. You will always work better. You will always achieve more when you're walking in harmony with other people. You know uh, how the geese fly in that big V formation? Yeah. You know, uh, you know why one of those, there's always one longer, one, one V is longer than the other. You know why that is? Because there are more geese in that line. <laughs> yeah, profound, right? And uh, from the colonies, remember. And, and so, and so uh, but geese, you know uh, what they do? You hear them honking, honk, 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 from behind. And the whole world knows there's honk language, right? We're, we're, we're on, in cars, in Sydney, in like, like you get, if, if, if you're just saying, hi, I'm arriving outside the house, go honk, honk, and you know, oh yeah, there's so-and-so. And then when you're leaving, honk, honk, it's like that, right? And, and, and bye, bye, or if city man win, right? Uh, or should I say Liverpool? Or who should I mention up here without getting stoned? Uh, yeah, but you know, like your team wins and honk all around the town and honk, we're all one. But then there's the guy who's angry, right? The angry honk, honk, and you can feel it. It comes right through from their horn into through the back seat and hits you where you're sitting. Isn't that right? And 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 it's like, oh, it's got the angry. Now, I'm generally a, a reasonably sanctified Christian, but right there, I lose my anointing. I just lose when I feel that. It just flicks the flicks the switch. And so I'm, I'm dealing with my road rage thing. But it, because that gets me. I've waited. I looked down. I was just one second over going through the green light, right? And so straight away, honk, get you move on. And I go, whoa, like this. I look up in the mirror and I look out. I think it, it just gets me, right? So I open the door. I'm not going anywhere. I walk around to the back of the car. I pop that trunk, I pull out the crowbar, I smash both their lights in my mind. And then I look at them and I recognize it's one of my Christian members in church. <laughs> and then I remember we're just on the corner that turns into church and it's Sunday morning, yeah, right. My <laughs> God. No, but it, it, managing all those things of working together, and relationships that are going to happen and, and do the right thing, you need a lot of encouragement. And that's, that's what those honking geese are. You see, you thought I'd forgotten about the honking geese. But the geese honk, right? They honk from behind. So they're going honk, 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 up to Pastor Smith. It's David Smith, I'm sorry. Honk, honk, <laughs> or Pastor Pingle, whoever you like. Honk, honk, you're doing well. 
Pingu, you're going well. Honk, honk. <laughs> you got to be encouraging and celebrate people up the front. And you know, uh, when those geese, if, if one gets wounded and falls to the ground, two of them go down and sit with it. Just sit there with it and, until he recovers, and then they catch the next V, uh, and they just hook up with the next, the next crowd. And, and so uh, we are always going to do better together. Being an isolated Christian doesn't work. You cannot be a, a Christian just on your own, uh, watching online or wh- whatever. Uh, you, you have got to be in community for your Christianity to work. Belgian horses, I don't know if you... Yeah, yeah, let's uh, go ahead. Don't let me stop you applauding. I do congregation training in our church. I say when we applaud, we really get into it. Okay, so just pretending I'm at church. Amen. My church. And uh, Belgian churches. uh, Belgian They're great churches, but I want to talk about their horses. Amen. Belgian horses. I don't know if you've heard of them. They, they pull weights. They have horse pulling contests. Well, they, they, one, one of those Belgian horses is very powerful. They can pull 8,000 pounds of dead weight. It's like a big concrete block, and they just harness him up, and away he goes. And he's pulling this huge dead weight behind him. However, when they yoke two of them together, two of them put, pull not what you'd think. You'd think 8,001 to 16. No, two of them can pull 24,000. So there is a synergy, there is a science that happens when we do stuff together that we actually accomplish a whole lot more and we have a whole lot more strength. However, two that knew each other could pull 32,000. If they were two strangers, they could pull 24K. But if they had a relationship of some kind, they could pull not 8 or 16 or 24, but 32,000 pounds of dead weight. But then they tried two who had been, who'd grown up together, that had long-term commitment relationship to that community. They, they put them together, and it said two that knew each other since childhood could pull 52,000 pounds of weight. So it's not just doing life together, it's doing life over a long time together in relationship and keeping that relationship alive. I mean, it's, it's, it's what God has called us to. And to make sure that we keep that alive, you have got to understand there's, there's definitely going to be one major area that all of us have to, have to nail, and that's the area of forgiveness. Because after 47 years of pastoring, I've found the most uh, prevalent reason why somebody's just going to drop out of church or drop out of a marriage or drop out of relationships is because of offense. When we get offended, it's hard, to, it's, it's, it's hard to navigate our way around that in any way in the relationship. So Jesus says many times, you got to forgive them. And a lot, a lot of times we think, well, when they say sorry, I'll forgive them. But nobody will say sorry to a heart that hasn't already forgiven them. God has already forgiven us. We've just got to turn up with our sorry. You see, you see when the prodigal son is coming home, he's imagining... Uh, my father's just going to kill me. He's gonna, he is expecting judgment. That's the natural state of the mind of a person who's alienated from God, a certain fearful looking for of judgment. So he's coming, he's coming oh, I've got to say, I'm so sorry. And, and he sees his father coming, running, running down the, the road. He's running, the turbans flying off, robes going in the wind. 
Here comes father. It looks like in slow motion to the son. He's expecting dad to reach into his sidearm there, pull out that shotgun. Get off my land, you rotten kid. Like this. He's expecting that. But, but there is no gun, just open arms. And he comes in and hugs him. And in that environment, he was able to say, I'm sorry. So forgiveness precedes apology. And, uh, and, and it is important. That's a kingdom way that we, we have got to grasp. Because if we're holding on to something, when that person comes and says, look, I'm sorry. You say, yeah, well, so you should be. Do you realize what you did to her? You haven't forgiven him. So they said, well, I said, I'm sorry. And now they can't say it properly. Yeah, well, you did it and you're back in the same mess. So the offended victim, even though it seems unfair, has to be the one who takes the first step and say, I forgive them. So every day I pray the prayer. I forgive everybody, everything I've ever, they've ever done against me. I'm not going to hold anything against them, not even my kids. And, uh, you know, insanity's hereditary, right? You get it from your kids. And... Uh, you know, why when I was your age? You know, they just don't, they just don't get it. And, uh, and, and so to, to forgive everybody, forgive God if you need to. Not that he needs it, but if you need to. You, he, he could have answered you. Didn't let that person live you. And, and people have got an anger in there, but you've got to let it all go because it grows into, into a very bitter root. You know, uh, I told the story in the first service. I'll, I'll tell it again here. The, when, when we were first starting our little church in a town called Littleton, it was called Little Town because it was a little town, and uh, there were 3,000 people there. God sent us there. Was in a, nobody ever left that town. It was like a, an enclave. And, and our church exploded from 15 people we started with, and over three years it exploded up to 30. And uh, God didn't let that church grow because there was just too much damage and, uh, that we were inflicting on those poor people learning how to pastor. And so, uh, so, so during that time, though, I managed to lead a, a little English woman, about four foot two tall, to Christ. Name was Prim. And her husband, John, I thought, well, let's go bring John into church. Well, I started to talk to him about meeting Jesus. Oh, I'm never going to come to God. I, never, I, I hate God. I hate people. I, I don't want anything to do with it. I said, what's your story, John? He said, well, you don't want to know my story. And, and he had emphysema, and he smoked a lot, which neither helped the other. And uh, so he, when he spoke, he wheezed. It was like that. It was just, you got the weather, not the news, when he t- spoke to you. So he's... He's saying like, he's, I said, John, and it took a long time to have a conversation because he had to get through his wheezing. <laughs> well, when I was 65, I retired. <laughs> I, I said, yeah, go on, go on. And uh, so, so he's telling me about how he retired and he, he, he appointed a manager to take over his business, but he didn't know the guy was bankrupt. So as soon as he became a partner, all the, all the creditors came and swooped in on John's company, took his house, took his superannuation, uh, retirement fund, took his boat, took his uh, company, took the whole lot. So he had no money at 65. He says, I, I had to start again. Now I'm just doing odd jobs. You know, my printing business is gone. And just to survive, to have food on the table, I've got to go back to work. 
So he says, I hate that man. I will never forgive him. I have a gun behind the mirror in my front room. If he walks past my house, I see him, I will shoot him. I want to kill him. He says, if you've got a God who's real, the only prayer I've got is that that man will walk in front of me so I can run him over in my car. And uh, I said, wow, this guy's really offended. And uh, he's, he's, you know, got hatred deep in his eyes. So I just kept going, talking, 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 over a period of months. And, uh, and one day I just said, come on, John, just, just say the prayer. Simple. And we got to that point where if, for him to refuse would have been not good for the relationship. So he said, oh, all right, whatever. So I said, say these words. Jesus coming on hand. He prays the prayer. And, and I pray for him, put my hand on him. I just leave it at that. Call him up in the morning. I say, John, how are you doing? He goes, you, you know what? I, 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 I am feeling better. And I said, John, you're not wheezing. I would expect you to go, <gasps> like this. And you're, you're talking plain. He says, yeah, I know. I can breathe. I said, it's a miracle. You, you, you got, you got, you've had a miracle. You had a healing miracle. He says, oh, yeah, I know. I know. But he says, the bigger miracle is this. Every night when I would go to bed, I would open my heart up take out this cage that I had that man in. I had this guy in. I'd open up the door, I'd take him out, and then I'd stab him. And, and, kill, and then I'd put him back in the cage, and I'd put it back in my heart, and then I could go to sleep smiling, because you now I was satisfied. And he said, but last night, I opened up my heart, I took out the cage, I opened the door, I took him out, and I said, I forgive you. And I let him go. That, that is a miracle that Jesus brought into that man's life. And, and it healed him because the root of his emphysema would have been in that problem. So the fact of us getting along together, it requires us to be able to let go things when they've affected us. However, you know, the, an even higher level is to be unoffendable. Psalm 119 and verse 165 says, Great peace of they which love your law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing. In fact, uh, the book of Corinthians says, love does not even take into account the wrong it suffers. People may intend. Yeah, I know people, you can say something innocent to them, and they make it offensive. They, they make your words offend, offend them. They say, oh, do you really mean that? I said, nowhere near it. But they want to be offended. You've got to loose yourself from all of that and find out what it is to walk together. And the reason the devil wants to divide relationships is so that he can destroy our destiny. If 90% of my destiny is in somebody else, and he can cut me off from those people, then I'm left alone with a barren little life. But God wants me to open up all those doors and keep them alive so I'm able to keep walking into my future knowing that God is going to fulfill all my destiny. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh. Water's great. Thank you, Jesus. Would you like a drink? Uh, you don't want to tempt me. All right. I'm going, to, I'm going to read out a story about how Jesus selects his team. And I've used a bit of time, so I've got five minutes to go through 20, 35 points here. But uh, I want to read this passage and, <clears throat> and take you through a selection criteria that Jesus uses when he's putting together his volunteer team. 
his life groups where he's building his church together. Mark 5 verse 35 to 42 says, While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw a tumult, and those who wept and wailed loudly. Then when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took her by the hand and said to her, Telatha Kumai, which translates, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the little girl arose and walked for she was 12 years of age. Now overcome with great amazement. Now here's my point today. It isn't just a nice option for us to have to work together as the church. There is an entire generation rising around us that is needing to be reached. When I was a kid, there were three and a half billion people in the world. Today, as a grown adult, there are seven billion. That means the world has doubled, more than doubled in my lifetime. And everybody who got born, got born young. So that means half the world is under the age of 25. And yet, in this generation, of all the other generations, the level of suicide is at its highest it's ever been. More drugs are being taken for antidepressant than any time in history. Kids as young as eight are being prescribed antidepressants to try and get despair out of their hearts. There is a tactic, a scheme from the devil to destroy a rising generation of teenagers right now. Every time there's been a deliverer rising up in a generation, the devil has organized for children to be killed. When Moses was being born and he came into the world, the king of Egypt ordered the death of all the children around two years of age. When Jesus was being born, the same Herod ordered the death of all those children, trying to wipe out that deliverer. Now hear me clearly. This world is moving fast towards the second coming. And there is a generation of teenagers right now rising up that the devil would love to destroy. But it is imperative that they find a united church that is working like an army to raise up this next generation of teenagers who are being killed. And Jesus said, we've got to go into that room where that child is dying, that 12-year-old is dying, and raise her back to life. And there are kids out there without fathers. There are kids out there without mothers and fathers and models and people that they can arrange their lives around. And you and I in the house of God need to be that house of hope and a house of imaging for these young people out of confusion and delusion that they're in to find some clarity And to understand exactly what is the pathway that God has got for me to live on. So Jesus chooses his criteria. And and this is how he does it. He walks in and the first people who meet him are unbelievers. And he said, I can't have unbelief. I want to organize an atmosphere of faith. Because that's the atmosphere in which young people will rise. When they are spoken to with words of faith, you're going to do well. You're going to do amazing. And so he puts the unbelief. He says, don't be afraid. Only believe. Because they said, your daughter is dead. It's no good trying to reach this generation. 
Why would you try to do that? They're being educated in a totally wrong way. Nothing, nothing good is going to happen. He puts them out. Then he meets the weepers and the wailers, the people who feel sorry for people, the people who are empathetic. And he's saying, look, that isn't going to help right here. It's good to feel empathy for people, but that isn't going to help. We don't want weeping and wailing about the situation. So he puts them out. Guys, the musicians, you can come on. And then he, he, goes, to the next, he goes to the next ones, and they are people who ridicule. I don't know a more sinister force to weaken my spirit than mockery. When people mock you for your faith. What, you don't give money to that church, do you? You're not going to take people down there, right? All that kind of thing. And so that is a, a knee-weakening, spirit-churning feeling when people mock you. And Jesus put them out, put out the ridicules. But then he needed to filter through his church. And he needed to find out which guys are the guys that I can take with me into the future. Because in the Old Testament, there were 12 spies who went into the future. And they came back and they said, it's too big, we can't do it. We can't reach the youth of England. We can't reach the UK. We can't reach this generation that's terrorized. We can't do this. How could, how could that ever happen? Ten of them had that belief, but two had faith they could do it. I wonder if you're one of those people here today who say, we can do this. We can reach this next generation. We can see a revival like there's never been before. All across the UK. So that it's not just the UK having all of its terror reports on the front page of the newspaper. But they're having reports of faith and miracles. They're having reports of victories. They're having reports of churches that are growing, expanding. He said, Peter, James, and John, you come in. Thomas came in. He said, I want to see if you can do this. He said, ah, Thomas, you can't come in here. I don't want an if in here. Matthew tried to come. He said, no, no, Matthew, you can't come in. You're just going to try and verify everything scripturally and, and all that. And then Andrew, he said, hey, Andrew, I want to come in. You know, do the Alpha course with these guys. He said, no, right now the Alpha course is good. Yeah, yeah, but not right now for this situation. I want focus. I want people with focus who can bring all the power of God to bear on this situation. And I want to see a brand new day rise up with these teenagers. And so he let them come in. Now Peter writes an epistle about faith. James writes about faith. John writes an entire gospel to repair the faith of them which believe. He says, says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. These were men of faith that Jesus took in there. I would like to think today the Kingsgate community is a community of great faith. People of great positivity, people who are confident, people who are going to cast off English reserve and say, let's get bold, people. Amen. Who are not going to just say, you know, like I could, I could be justified in timidity because that's our culture. Let's throw that away. That's not the culture of the kingdom. When they saw the disciples, they observed how bold they were and said, how come these guys are so bold? They're untrained. They're uneducated. But then they realized they look like that Jesus guy. They've, they've been with Jesus. They're walking around so bold, so confident, so powerful. It was immediately recognizable that they were people bold in faith. I want any youth leader in this building to stand up right now. Any youth leader, would you stand up right now? This guy, is your name Tim? And this guy, this guy, this guy, this girl. Yeah, any other youth leaders? 
In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray. Everybody, reach your hands out towards these guys. Father, right now, touch each one of these young men and young women by the power of the Holy Spirit. Loose every chain, every blockage, every wall, everything that's held them back. Lord, let the wisdom and the plans of God come upon their thinking. Tim, the Holy Ghost will give you a picture in your mind like the blueprint plan for building, not just gathering, not just gathering to an event, but building a community of people with commitment in their hearts. And it'll be a step-by-step plan. It'll be three steps. And you, you will know that this is how God is going to do it to build them into the house of God, to build them into a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church and to let their fire burn. I see wisdom coming into the leadership of this congregation with ideas and opportunities and door openers that will cause young people to flood in to this place. There'll be some As the older brother was offended, who will be offended at the fire and the enthusiasm of young people? However, you should not ever let any of the old stop the new. And if you can manage the allowance and the acceptance of the prayer of the pastor today to welcome in the spirit youth into the house, you will find even now a great flood, a great new wave of young men and young women readying for the future, pouring into the house of God. I see this altar full of young men and women dancing. I see this altar full of young men and young women dancing, shouting and screaming. I see young men standing up here prophesying 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds prophesying and seeing visions and declaring the great Word of God. Fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.